God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Omaha. Here's Pastor Chris Haruska. As followers of Jesus, we've got to figure out how do we steward every area of our life for His glory. He's the king. He's the ruler. He leads. We follow. It's His word. It wins. And so we got to ask the question, uh, what does it look like with this unique area of finances and money? How do we serve Jesus? How do we steward it for his glory? Um, Jesus is going to call us to two things in this passage, all right? He's going to say, one, invest wisely as stewards, okay? You're not an owner of anything if you're a Christian. You're a steward of everything you have, okay? So you're a manager of the Father's stuff, all right? It's temporary. We want to use it for other people's good and God's Glory is going to call you to invest wisely, not foolishly, okay? Uh, not just here and now, but for later, invest it wisely. Number two, he's going to invite you to trust the Father. So some of us have daddy issues, okay? We don't do well with trust. And if you don't trust God in this area of your life, you're going to live with anxiety. I've got to store it up. Where's my next paycheck? Do we have enough? Am I going to lose it? I finally got it. How am I going to hold on to it? And it's going to plague your life. Now, here's what I want to say to the Christian. You cannot lose your salvation by being an unwise manager of money, but you can waste every day of your life on this side, worrying, anxious, toiling, trying to store up, building bigger barns. You can waste your life and have no eternal impact on this side of glory because you're so obsessed with more. So Jesus' goal for us this morning is not to make you feel bad or guilt or shame you because you have or you don't have or you had it one time and you lost it. You didn't give a percentage and you should have gave more. That's not it. Jesus is trying to make you a free creature. He's trying to free you from anxiety. Jesus is trying to say, no, treasure me. Trust your daddy. He will provide. That's what Jesus wants to invite you into. Now, uh, Jesus has a lot to say about money. He says, you cannot serve God and money. You will serve one or the other. Christian, one of them is gonna be at the center of your life. You can give lip service to Jesus, but orient your whole life, what you think about, what you do outside of this Sunday morning gathering, all around money. How do I get more? How do I secure more? How do I, how do I save more? How do I invest more here, right? He said, you will only serve one or the other. It's going to be God or money. And here's why. This is such a big deal. Because some of you guys are like, I ain't got money problems. But money is so sneaky, guys. It is such an amazing fake God. Because if you love comfort, guess what money will tell you? Oh, you can buy 100 acres and keep everybody really far away and the people will deliver groceries to your door. I like comfort. Does anybody else like comfort? Some of you guys are like, oh, I don't have a money problem. I just, I really want to live in a neighborhood. I want to live in a neighborhood with a nice school district and around nice people. You got a status idol and money is a means to get there. Some of you guys have security issues. You're like, I just really don't ever want to be in a troublesome place. I want to be able to pay the doctor and the lawyer and the mechanic. And I, if my heat goes out, I want to be able to pay somebody to do it. And money will provide security. It's like building up big walls and borders so nobody can bring you harm. It's a security blanket. You ever seen a kid with a security blanket? That's our security blanket. So some of us don't have um, maybe money problems, but really money is this idol that fuels all these other things. Now, before I jump in, let me just confess to you guys, this is an area that Jesus had to do a massive work in my life and still has to do a massive work in my life. So when I came to know Christ, Joe was there, 18 years old, uh, believed in Jesus for the first time, moved from a kind of a religious but rebellious kid into a, a true follower of Jesus. And I honestly, God was changing my life. Like some of you know that moment where like the spirit of God floods your heart and it changes the way you, like, you function as a human being. Like it was a new operating system in my heart. 
Spirit of God comes into my life and a number of things change. I immediately felt conviction about uh, sexual sin in my life, okay? So I remember breaking up with an old high school kind of friend, girlfriend, whatever, saying this whole relationship was built on lust and I don't have room for that in my life anymore. So I'm moving, we gotta, I get, this is no longer something I can be a part of. I remember like going to some Christian buddies and being like, hey, I've got a whole collection of 90s rap CDs. Do you guys remember like the CD books? Some of you guys are like, I don't know what a CD is. Okay, it, it was a small compact disc that you had to put into a vehicle to listen to music, okay? So, uh, and if you're really cool, you had like a six-disc changer and you was balling, you could hit disc three and you like had each. All right. Well, I had a whole collection of like sure-to-get-low soundtrack, all right, you know? And, uh, and so I was like, you know what? This is probably not stirring my affections for Jesus. I'm gonna go ahead and just like get rid of these. So I gave them to a friend. I was like, I can't, I should not listen to this right now. Then, then there was like, uh, I remember getting a study Bible. I went to parables when parables was a thing here in Omaha. And it was like, I had a little study Bible and I got my NIV and I was reading the notes. And like, actually in between classes, like I would go back and like read the word of God because I was hungry for God. And then I remember going to church on Sunday. Like I had went to church with my mom, but it was always driven out of like, mom wants me to go to church and like, God, I better check the box for an hour, you know, but never out of like, this is my family. And I want to worship Jesus with my family. It changed everything. Me and Joe got baptized together. Like a lot in my life was changing, okay? A lot in my life was changing. You know what didn't change? My finances. You know what I didn't do to that local church that was faithfully sharing the word of God and baptizing me and feeding me potlucks and investing me? I didn't give $1, $1 for three years to that local church. Why? I, I, all my friends that went on mission trips on summers that were saying, hey, would you support me? I'm gonna go take the gospel. I wanna go serve these orphans. I wanna go be a, a blessing. I wanna go share the good news of the gospel. And I had so many opportunities to invest and to send and be generous. And you know what I did? Said no every time, every time. Now, why? Why? Everything else in my life was changing, but the area of my finances because I trusted Jesus Christ as my savior, but not my provider. I felt like, God, I've gotta keep your hands off this area of my life. I gotta protect the bag. This is my security blanket. I can't lose this. Now, I want to just tell you guys, um, that happened back then, but now I don't have any money problems. And I have figured it out completely. I have no anxiety at all. And today I'm going to show with you one verse that fixes everything. I'm lying, okay? So just this week, like after the holidays, Christmas, the new year and travel, we always take this little trip up to Okoboji, Iowa, and we get the kids, you know, some presents, and we eat too many like, you know, chicken nuggets next to this indoor pool up there. And like, I was just, guys, I realized like, wow, I have not looked at our finances in like six to eight weeks. Like, I literally don't know if we have any money. Could not tell you if we have a dollar or $10,000. I do not know. And I thought, you know what? I'm kind of the leader of this family. My wife doesn't work. I should know if we have money or not. And so I'm going to log into our bank account online. And this is like a typical middle-aged thing. Like you just, we, you log into your account, you try to figure it out. Maybe you guys have an app, whatever. So I'm like, this shouldn't be a big deal. Guys, can I tell you, I was, oh, I was checking my accounts with like a massive sense of anxiety. Like I, I was not just trying to figure out financial realities, but like all of these orphan tendencies like flooded my heart. And I was immediately, like, I checked one account and then I noticed, like, I better check the other account. I wonder what happened with my retirement account. I don't know. Did we put money in for college last year? I don't know. I better check that one. And next thing you know, I am flooded with anxiety and I am feeling like a homeless orphan. Like, oh my goodness, have I lost everything? I don't have control. Life feels so fragile. What are we doing? Like, I don't have enough. What if something goes wrong this year? 
And in that mind, I'm just getting wrapped up with all of these narratives on the inside. How ashamed am I gonna be? And you know what wasn't happening in my heart? Faith and a faithful father that has provided for me for 20 years and I've never missed a meal. I was blind to the fact that God is a good provider. Have you ever been there? You're just wrapped up in your own world and your own thing and you're like, ah, what am I doing? And so I just wanna tell you guys, this is not something that I got, got a hold of way back then when I was 19. Now I'm just like, I've figured it out. No, I'm coming here as a person who's very much in process with you, okay? So let me just ask you, maybe you're, you can relate. I wonder if you've ever struggled to trust God as your provider. Have you? I wonder if you've ever struggled to see yourself not as an owner of everything in your life, but simply as a steward and trusting, uh, entrusted with the Father's stuff. I wonder if you've ever felt the temptation to worship God with your lips, but to keep him away from your wallet. Have you ever done that? Well, I have. And I'm guessing some of you guys have too. And so what I want to... I want us to know is that Jesus, again, doesn't want to take anything from you today. What he wants to do is help you to have peace instead of anxiety, to help you have a generous heart instead of a greedy one, and ultimately to bring every area of your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that you can experience his joy in those areas, okay? I want to just ask a couple questions today. Instead of giving statements and principles, I want to ask the church questions because I want to allow the spirit of God to work in the people of God through the word of God this morning, okay? It could be that we live in one of the most materialistic nations in the world. <laughs> it could be, maybe, that we see ourselves in consumers. It could be that we have a couple hard issues with this area. So I just wanna ask you some questions. The two questions are gonna be this. Do we treasure Jesus and do we trust God the Father? Do we treasure Jesus and do we uh, trust God the Father? Those are gonna be the questions I wanna ask. Let's jump on in. The first one is, do we treasure Jesus? Again, the question on the table is not, are you rich or poor? The Bible is filled with uh, pictures of the wealthy who are righteous and the wealthy who are unrighteous, who don't steward it for God's glory and use it to oppress poor people, right? So that's not the rule. There's the poor that are righteous and the poor that are unrighteous. There's pictures of both. That's not the question, are you rich or poor? Do you have or do you not have? That's not the question here. The question is not, what percentage did you give last year? That's not where we're going. Jesus wants to know, do I have your heart? Do I have your heart, church? And this is the question, right? Is he the greatest sense of our joy and our security? If, if you lost the house this year and the car and the investments and the job, if, if all of that was gone, picture your life, you wake up, it's all gone. Could you still come to church and dance and sing and smile because you haven't lost God? You haven't lost anything of eternal value. Just stuff. By the way, all the stuff that you're like so worried about polishing and dusting and protecting and keeping my kids off of when they come over for dinner. <laughs> don't let your kid jump on my couch. You shouldn't have had me over. What do you think kids do? to couches. That's why we don't have nice things, okay? But like, like you guys know that all that stuff is gonna be in a junkyard. The only thing eternal is the souls of men and God and God's word. So why are we so worried about this stuff, right? He wants to know, does he have your heart? Now he's gonna meet a guy who's so clearly, Jesus is not the main thing in this dude's life. And by the way, if you look at this, it's not a picture of just a dude who's rudely interrupting Jesus. This is a guy who's so given his heart to coveting and greed that he is anxious it has destroyed his life. It's wrapped him up. It's controlling what he does, okay? So Jesus says, don't be like this dude. Look at verse 13. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So this is an interesting interaction, all right? There's a guy in the middle of a family feud over his father's inheritance, all right? And he's in conflict with his brother because his brother's trying to figure out what he should get and the other brother should get. And so these family members are in conflict, right? The older brother 
traditionally would he get double the portion of the inheritance? He was supposed to use that double portion to actually be a blessing to the other family members because by keeping a double portion for the oldest, you keep the family farm together and they can actually keep everybody else employed. So that was supposed to happen. But this guy is coveting his brother's lot in life, okay? And what's interesting is the timing and the content of this question. It reveals a lot of what's going on in his heart, right? He's not in the presence of Jesus saying, Jesus, I wanna know more about you. He's not in the presence of Jesus saying, tell me more about this whole sin thing and savior thing. He's not in the presence of Jesus saying, help me to understand how I might be prone to religious tendencies like you just warned me about. He's saying, Jesus, would you wrap up your sermon because we need to get back to my place and I need you to flex on my brother so I can get more of the inheritance, right? So like, just picture this emotionally awkward moment. Um, I tuck my kids in most nights. We pray, we sing a song together. I try to affirm something about them that I've seen every, in their life during the day. And say, hey, here's what I saw, man. I saw the love of Christ come through you. I saw your generosity. I saw your self-control and the way you responded. Try to affirm, try to bless, try to pray, try to sing, try to read a verse. And so we sit down and there's this moment where I'm finally about to walk out of the room. And I'm just picturing this moment where I'm, my 10-year-old son looks up to me and says, dad, you know, thank you for that. But I just got a question. You know, when you die, do I get the house and Lucy gets the cars or does Lucy get the house? Like, I'm just trying to do the math. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I'd be like, bro, that's not the moment we're having right now. The moment we're having is I'm speaking life and blessing and you're worried about the car. Are you kidding me, right? It would reveal in his heart, right? He doesn't want me. He doesn't want blessing. He really just wants the stuff. And that's what's happening with this guy. He's, and you, Jesus recognizes it right away. He says, hey, I'm not about this business. I'm gonna warn you what's going on in this guy's heart. There's an issue here. Verse 15, he says this. He said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Okay, so this guy's rudely interrupting Jesus because he thinks that life is a big game and the game has simple rules. Whoever wins with the most stuff, dies with the biggest barn and has the most toys in the barn, they win the game of life. But Jesus says, if you're playing that game, be on guard against coveting. Coveting is wanting what God has given, uh, wanting God to give to you what he's given to others. So I just wanna warn you about coveting. Coveting is a really big deal in the Old Testament. It literally made you know, the 10 commandments, all right? He's calls God people not to covet, not to be looking across the fence, wondering what everybody else has because there's really two main things. He summarizes, Jesus summarizes the whole Old Testament law in this. Love God and love others. And I want you to know, if you give yourself to coveting, you can do neither. You cannot love God and covet. Why? Because you are telling God what you've given me is not sufficient, it is not enough, and you've made a mistake, and I am actually entitled to more. By the way, you're entitled to nothing. What you're entitled to is hell, condemnation, and judgment. The fact that God has given you breath and the grace to come and gather with God's people and hear his word today is more than you deserve. Coveting is saying you haven't given me enough. You're holding out your best and you're being a bad father. I'm entitled to more. So it's impossible to love God in a posture like that. Number two, it's impossible to love others in a posture of coveting because what you're saying is I want your stuff. I will use you, manipulate you. I'm longing to be more like you. You cannot enjoy people, love people, bless people, serve people, and be happy for people if you're coveting the success on their life or God's blessing on their life. So he's saying, hey, don't give your life to this because by the way, life is not measured in the abundance of possessions. Did you see his words there? It is not measured in the abundance of possessions. And I just wanna say, church, do we actually believe this? 
Like, do you believe Jesus's words? That more of life is not gonna be found in more stuff that you put in your garage. It's not measured by the abundance of possessions. Like I look around our city and it tells a story, right? I think it tells a story that we love our stuff. There's massive shopping centers and malls where we can get the abundance of things if we wanna go, okay? And then if you look at the average size of the American home, just drive from east to west, started 1,000 square feet, 2,000 square feet, 3,000 square feet, 4,000 square feet, started with no garage, one car garage, two car garage, three car garage, more garages. Guys, this is the game, right? This is the whole game. And what's so funny is like, when we get our tax returns, guess what goes up? Church giving. No, TV sales and used cars. That's what we do. And so if we're honest, guys, if we're honest, we have to be We have to acknowledge that sometimes we fall into the lie that like contentment and joy and peace and happiness is one purchase away. It's one purchase away, right? And I I know this because I find myself on like Facebook marketplace looking at things that I will never buy, nor do I need. But I'm like, man, if I had it though, honestly, if I had it, it would be nice, you know? And it's just dumb. I don't need it. But we, we believe, we believe the lie, right? That God's holding out on us and life would be better if we just had more stuff. We believe that lie. And Jesus is warning us, don't give yourself to that. It will steal your joy, okay? That's what not life is not about. And so he's gonna tell this amazing story. Here's what he said, verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay. So let me pause. This guy in some ways did nothing wrong. Okay. He's working on a farm. He's earning a living. He's working with his hands. He's not stealing. He's not manipulating. He's not oppressing. He's actually built a business that generates income. And that is not evil or ungodly. Okay. You should not be ashamed of wealth. If you've, if if God's blessed you and you've worked hard and honestly, that's okay. But just know as a Christian, we are not owners, we're stewards, all right? Whether you have a lot or a little, it's all from Jesus and for Jesus and to Jesus. But this guy's not asking the question, how can I be a faithful steward over this massive um, harvest that's just brought in? He sees himself as an owner. This is his crop. He's gonna do what he wants. And he's got really good problems. He planted seed, everything went right. If there was ever an industry that helps you understand how dependent you are on God, you would think you'd be a farmer right? You can plant the seed. You cannot control the sun. You cannot control the rain. You cannot control the wind. You cannot control the bugs. You are incredibly dependent on everything going right. And yet he has no acknowledgement of the grace of God, none. Instead, he said, oh, I got a good problem. I got more grain that will fit into my barn. Option one would be, I could give some to the local temple so the word of God could go forth. That doesn't go through his mind. It could go, hey, you know what? There's probably some poor needy widows and orphans in my community. I've got so much grain, it won't even fit into the barn. I wonder if I could invite them to come take some and then they could have some to eat. That seems like a Christian thought. No, no, that doesn't happen either. He could say, oh my gosh, you know what? I didn't pick all this grain by myself. There's employees. I wonder if I could could just say, you know what? Double blessing on your family this year. Go ahead and get this little bonus. No, that doesn't happen either. He says, you know what? The best thing I can do Oh, these crummy little two-story barns. 
These are nothing. We got to go bigger barns. I got to go bigger barns. I got to live my best life now. Let's tear out the old barns, bigger the, build the bigger ones, the taller barns. That way I can sell off just a little portion for the rest of my life and have a steady inflow of income. And he's trying to set himself up to live a self-indulgent, comfortable, isolated, pampered life. And if we're honest, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, this is the aim of so many of our lives. We want to quit our jobs and spend our lives somewhere warm playing golf and then paying someone to rub our back and bring us a fruity drink with an umbrella in it. Hashtag American dream. And by the way, that has crossed my mind. Like Scottsdale right now doesn't sound like hell on earth. Sounds like an amazing gift I would receive from the Lord, right? And so we get this. We, we want the bigger barn, the bigger investment, the bigger homes, the bigger paycheck. And, and here's what Jesus says about it. Like, why is this a bad, foolish thing? I just want you to know you are being sold this idea every single day of your life in America. This is what you're being sold. Live your life, waste 60 years, live for the bigger thing, and then maybe at the very end, you can prop yourself up into hedonism, a godless joy that you're gonna have because you have everything and the, the account is full and you don't have to work again. It's a godless hedonism. So here's what it says. But he said to you, fool, that night, your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards the things of God. Here's what he's saying. This is a tragic situation. This guy ran the numbers, filled the barns. Most people in the world would clap. People like this, by the way, in our society, they get asked to speak at conferences and write books. And if you've ever opened up Instagram, there's a lot of people that are saying, hey, I filled up my barns and I can teach you how to fill up your barn too. For a small fee of $29.99 for a month, I will teach you how you can have storage units. It's amazing, right? But he's just saying, you are a fool if you modern and you, and you uh, pattern your life after people like this. Why? Because in this story, God comes back. This man dies. He's standing before God in judgment and God is not clapping. Look at you. Out of all your brothers and sisters, you're the richest one. Look at you. You have more in your account than anyone else. Wow. You're the richest in your city group. You're the richest in your neighborhood. You've outdone everyone in collecting stuff that won't matter. He does not clap. He does not say, well done. The world will, but he doesn't. He said, you are a fool. You have filled up your barn and you, who's gonna enjoy them? You've died. You forgot to figure out the reality that life is short. You are perishing. And so death has come upon you. Mortality has come upon you. And now you need to realize that you've wasted all of your days and all of your strength collecting something that you will never enjoy. Did you see the question? He said, hey, you prepared the barns. Well done. But guess what? You're dead and you can't bring them with you. Somebody else is going to get those barns. And in this moment, what's been revealed is that you don't love God because you've invested nothing into the kingdom, right? And so he's saying, you are a fool to invest like this. Now, what is our options, Christians? What should we do? If we want to say we don't want to live like this, what does Jesus and coaches, coaches to do? He has a different option. He says, provide for yourself money bags. Verse 33, provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus is saying you can't buy your, he's saying you can't buy your way into heaven. Instead, he is saying there is a better investment than a bigger barn. What if you give to the poor? What if you're generous to the things of God? What if you give to those who are taking the hope of the gospel to the nations? What if you invest in a local church that was actually faithful heralding the gospel? That money is not lost. It's stored up for you in heaven. So the money that you have here, you can't take with you. The money that you invest in the kingdom, that money is secure. And ultimately, Jesus is saying, this is not just a better wise investment. This is a heart issue. The reason this guy didn't give a dollar to anything that was God-centered, God-oriented, God-kingdom building is because he didn't love God. So let me just ask the obvious question that we need to ask as a church and not assume, because I do think this is a heart issue. I think too many pastors waste too much time trying to talk about tithing and percentage of giving and what this means in the New Testament. We can do all that. We can get in a letter on the law. We can have that conversation. But you know what? I think this is a hard issue. And let me just ask the church right now. Do you love Jesus Christ? Does he have your heart? Is he your treasure? And let me ask another question. Why should he be? Let's ask that question. So if you're a non-Christian, you'd probably be like, no, he doesn't have my heart. And if you're a Christian, there's part of you that says, yeah, I kind of like him enough to sing. I don't know if I love him enough to give every year of my life over to him. Well, let me give you one of the 10,000 reasons that I love Jesus Christ and I believe he's my treasure. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine says this, for you know the gracious, uh, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, we could be made, made rich. This is the gospel. The gospel is not come to the church and give your money. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the rich one, the prince of heaven who owns everything, he's already come from heaven to earth. He stepped in in poverty. He lived in our broken, fallen world. He lived the sinless life that you and I couldn't, right? He died a homeless man on a Roman cross, was buried in a a borrowed tomb and rose from the grave. He lowered himself and stepped into poverty. He lowered himself in status and stepped into humanity so that you and I, poor orphans who've only amassed a debt of sin, could be spared from the wrath of God and instead eternally enjoy the grace of God. So he lowered himself so that we could move from orphan to adopted child, from condemned to forgiven, from deserving of wrath to receiving grace and forgiveness. So this is our Jesus. And if you've received the love of that Jesus who gave his very life for you, who looked at the bill that you racked up at that restaurant and he said, I've got it, I'm paying for it with my very own life, right? If that's our Jesus, there is no one in this church that will ever outpace the grace and the crazy generosity of our God. For God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't come to take. He gave his life as a ransom. So church, who are you? You are people on the receiving end of a generous God. Does he deserve our hearts and everything else? Absolutely. This is our God. And I've just come to believe that the best thing I can do is try to live like this before God. God, I'm, not, I'm done trying to hold on to it. I'm done, I'm done trying to hold on to it. You can put something in here. You can take something out of here because whatever's in here, you've put there and I'm just trying to steward it for your glory. You've got my heart. You've got whatever's in my hands. It's all yours. My position at this church, my life, my finances, I'm not trying to hold on to it. I will go where God calls me to go. I will serve however Jesus calls me to serve. Whatever it is, Lord, it's yours. My life is yours. Guys, that is a, you might say that seems really unstable. That's the best place to live. And that's the only place if you want peace here on earth. Do you know that Jesus Christ loves you, church? He loves you. He came from heaven to earth to die for you. Do you know that Jesus Christ will sustain you? 
He will absolutely finish everything that he started in you. Do you know that God the Father is a better provider than you ever will be? I am not the provider of my home. I'm the only one with a job. But you know who the provider is? God. God is the provider for the Ruska household. I'm a steward of everything he puts in our hands. I will work hard as unto the Lord, but I will steward what he puts in our hands. You are not the provider of your home. You labor and you toil, but God is the ultimate provider. He's the sustainer. He is the one who's been faithful. So we can either live like orphans, insecure, or we can live like love, secure children who trust that God is more than just the savior someday, but our sustainer and provider on this day. That's the invitation. Church, I want you to be crazy generous because I believe there's freedom in it. I believe there's power in it to speak to your stuff and say, you are not my God. My God is Jesus Christ. He's invited me to steward. So be generous towards the church. Be generous towards something you feel God calling you to do, but but let God have it. Surrender it. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Chris Haruska of City Light Omaha. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.